Hi guys, it's Jill, and you're listening to the Equine in Theory podcast, and for this week's episode, we are going to be talking about a mare named Juno. Keep on listening. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Alrighty, guys. So I feel that I should let you all know that it is currently Tuesday morning, (laughs) which is the day that I post these podcasts. And uh, last night I was laying in bed. I had full intentions of recording this episode yesterday, but I ended up in bed and then I was like, oh, no, I forgot. (laughs) So, um... Same thing happened last week, and then all of a sudden it was Saturday, and I still hadn't recorded the episode. So, um, in short, I suck at schedules, but um, I'm doing it now, so it's fine, right? (laughs) Um, Anyway, so I was trying to think of what I should talk about, and like if anything has been happening recently, and not too much has been going on. Over the past month, I've read eight books, so um, I've pretty much just been locked away in my house reading um, because I live in the middle of nowhere, so there's really nothing else to do. And it's been so hot, like unbearably hot. So I haven't really been doing a whole lot because every time I go outside, I melt. So also there are so many fun cat noises in the background. I greatly apologize. nothing I can do about them, because if I lock them in my room, they will, um, terrorize it. So, um, we're just gonna get over that and pretend that there aren't a bunch of annoying sounds happening. But, anyway, so, Juno. I feel like I should give a little bit of background here. Who is Juno? What is this mare? Is she yours? No, she's not. (laughs) So, um, a while back, my boss found a picture of this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful gray, um, drafty mare we're uh I always forget exactly what she is but we think she's like shire thoroughbred something like that um actually we thought that when she was much thinner but now probably she's just full draft (laughs) um but she is um from a kill pen and I know that there are varying degrees of opinions on rescuing from kill pens and Um, me and my boss talk about it a lot and neither of us agree with it, but at the same time, like, you either support them and save a horse or you let the horse get shipped off to a cow pen or a a, a slaughterhouse and it's not fun. None of those options are good. But, um, we, um, my boss ended up being like, you know what? I like her. 
I'm going to get her. So um, we did and then brought her home and had her on quarantine for 30 days because she um, had some gunk in her nostrils and um, was rather sickly as happens when horses are in varying degrees of health. I need to stop saying varying degrees. I apologize. Um, <laughs> but um, so we had her in quarantine for a while and she like couldn't leave the stall, which sucked, but couldn't risk infecting our other horses. Um, but she was on lots of antibiotics and all of that good stuff. And then finally came the time to release her from quarantine. And um, we decided that it would be a brilliant plan to stick her out with Zoe and Rosie. Um, and uh, it was not. It was not a good plan. Um, apparently, um, my boss, Sonny, had asked me to hold both of them. But that did not get communicated to me <laughs> in a way that made sense. So, um... We set Juno out, and she ran around for a little while. Okay, that's not going to work. Cell phone? Shush. Um, so we set Juno out, and she ran around for a little while, and then Zoe came right up behind her, and Juno clearly said, do not come near me. And Zoe said, but boy, friendship. And then uh, Juno kicked Zoe. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, she had four shoes on at the time and, like, kicked the snot out of Zoe. And, um... There's a whole little documentation on that on my YouTube channel, but essentially Zoe, uh, her leg like got super infected and was awful, but she's recovered from that now. And um, a little bit more background on Juno, um, we actually tracked down the owner of her, her previous owner, and um, it was this man, and he had no idea where she'd ended up, and he was like so relieved to hear that she ended up in a good place um but apparently i think he gave her to his nephew to be like a cart or farm horse something i don't know but the nephew ended up sending her to the amish to get broken trained uh because she is four um i think she's i don't know how long we've had her uh she might be five now i don't know but um so anyway Everything that I have heard from the Amish, not trying to knock them, but <laughs> most of the horses I have met or have heard stories about that have come from the Amish are um, damaged. And um, I'm sure they're not all like that, but at least the people that worked with Juno, it is very, very, very clear that she was mistreated. Um, my boss even uh, had an animal communicator um, over the phone talk about Juno and without any prompt was just like this mare came from a bad place she's been juggled around was very scared surrounded by a bunch of strange horses which would allude to a kill pin maybe I don't know I feel like you could fill in a lot of blanks with that one <laughs> but they said that she was just really really mistreated she gave like specific stories and examples and I'm not sure how true they are but I it was interesting um, to hear that that's probably what happened to her and honestly it's not that far out there the way she acts I mean like you can't just walk straight up to her you have to do a nice big curve and she curves you and then um she'll walk up to you after she decides you're not a threat and I've spent some time working with her and I taught her basic target training and manners and stuff like that um but like the other day it was really funny uh 
well, it wasn't funny, but it was kind of scary. But um, the fence to her paddock got knocked down by either her or one of the other horses. But um, <laughs> me and Sunny were driving to go um, give some of the back forty horses uh, some alfalfa pellets, and um, she goes, "Does something look wrong to you in there?" And Vistal, Doc, and two of the mini ponies were in with Juno, and we were like, "Hmm, not fantastic." Um, so we ended up having to get Juno, and I felt like I had, like, a little horse whisper moment because nobody could catch her, but I, I did some body language reading and being really meticulous about mine because I just finished uh, reading Language Signs and Calming Signals of Horses by Raquel Dreisma, maybe? The name? Pronunciation? Not great. Okay, that toy is not going to work today, okay? No. Oh, my God. No. Stop. Stomping. Quint. Um, cats, so noisy. Stop. Um, anyway, so, um, I ended up being the one that Connor, and you know, there's nothing greater than being like, I'm the horse whisperer. I'm the one that the horse likes. <laughs> so, um, anyway, uh, I've been working with her quite a bit lately, and, um, pretty much what I've been working on is her criteria is to just stand don't move your feet. And then I am working on just being able to, uh, touch lots of different parts of her body. So, um, what I've been doing is just like clicking her for standing and having her nose like pointed straight, you know, out of my space for safety. And then just like scratching on her neck a little bit, you know, I mean, I'm not standing fully facing her or anything like that. Just, you know, facing forwards and reaching back with my hand to pet her so it's not a threatening position and um usually if I face her she's like back up get out of space head needs to be pointed at you at all times please do not turn towards me and um so we've done a lot of that and just me being able to you know rub down her legs and her shoulder and her belly she's not quite comfortable with me being around her hind end yet and um so we just we're working up in gradual successions and you know when we first got her and um my boss was like well i want to get on her and see like what everything's about trying to saddle her was a nightmare i mean she just was like running in circles around the lead rope terrified of the saddle pad and the saddle and this isn't a horse that's never been saddled before but she's just so wary of what's going to happen and she's just she's just terrified Ooh, good voice crack it's early but she's just, she's very afraid of people and their intentions and what the equipment and things that they, um, what they're going to do to her. And, um, so me and Juno made a pact the other day. I was like, I'm never going to lay a hand on you. Okay. I'm not ever going to be aggressive or vicious with you. It's just going to be this. I'm just petting you. And I want her to be confident uh, in me and with equipment. And so, like, obviously my boss is going to want to ride her in a saddle and a bridle. Um, that requires a saddle pad and a girth. And so I'm going to shoot for the same thing I did with Mac, which um, when we first got Mac, um, putting a saddle pad on him was out of the question. And all, again, a horse that has seen saddle pads many times before. And I think that just goes to show that, uh, quote unquote, desensitizing 
in the way that you just like throw it on the horse and be like, look, you're not dead is not particularly effective because if they're just like forced to either suppress that fear or just get over it, then they're likely, it's going to be a long time before they're ever truly okay with it. But if you give it a positive association, like I did with Mac, like I would just have him sniff the pad, click, and then it just be around him and click. And then gradually I would rub him with one hand and then bring the saddle pad up in my other hand over top of the one hand that was scratching him. Does that make sense? And then click and treat for that. And now we're to where I can like... I don't even know what an adjective would be like crazily sling the saddle pad and throw it on his back. And he's like, okay, whatever (laughs) it brings good things. It means treats are coming. So, um, I'm hoping to achieve the same with Juno that like, you know, when I touch you, good things happen. Both the touch can be nice. And also, um, the treats are nice and then create the same positive association with the saddle pad and the saddle and a girth. And just work up the same way I did with Mac because she, I don't think she's ever going to be a horse that you can like just force things on and she'll be happy with it. I think she would be permanently scared. And um, even if you're being nice about it, she's just so terrified. I think that the most effective way to approach it is um, by using operant and classical conditioning and clicker training to create the positive associations with the equipment or the body parts that I want her to be confident about. And in turn, that also makes me a symbol of, like, good things happen. People are not bad, you know? (laughs) So um, I want her to um, really blossom into an awesome horse. And it's it's great that she's so young, so she doesn't have too long of a history. I mean, in my opinion, she has already had too long of a history, but at least it hasn't been, like, 10 years of that. I don't know that she would have survived. She probably would have had a heart attack because the way she acts is, like, I mean, somebody really did her wrong. I mean, you still can't touch her face. And um, so, I mean, we're going to be working on all of those things and getting her comfortable with people and learning to trust them again and um, just realizing that, nobody's out to get her anymore you know we're not going to hurt her and we want to build a relationship with her and respect her boundaries so yeah I just I I think it's really interesting because Mac has been the closest thing that I've uh to an abuse case that I've worked with but Juno is much worse I mean she's not dangerous in the sense that she's not going to like rear up and bite or kick out or strike uh, any of those things which Mac did um so Mac was probably a little more on the dangerous volatile side but um he was also quite ulceric and I don't think Juno has ulcers um just because she doesn't act act that way and she's never tried to bite or she's not sensitive to the touch um she just like jumps because she's like ah going to hit um but then after a few repetitions she's like cool with it so um I probably should go ahead and palpate her anyway now that I'm thinking about it see this is why we like to talk through things out loud but I don't know I think that I think that clicker training and using positive reinforcement can be especially good for horses who have been mistreated and who are really worried about um you know, be, even being touched or being handled. I mean, she's had a halter on since she got here because good luck getting one on. 
Um, so that's going to be something else that we're working or that we're going to work on. Um, you know, after I get her comfortable with me touching her and all that good stuff. So uh, it's just really interesting because there are so many things that we really take for granted with our horses. Like when I pull Zoe out of the paddock to give her a bath and she doesn't jump when I turn on the hose and she's not afraid of being haltered. She follows me. She's not afraid of the gate making, uh, loud sounds or, um, you know, if another horse starts running in a paddock, she's not going to lose her marbles. And, um, I can throw a saddle pad on her and she'll just stand and look at me like, why are you clicking me for that? That's so basic. <laughs> but with horses like, well, not so much Mac anymore, but Mac prior and, um, and Juno, it's like, you can't take anything for granted. And those horses, you really have to break down every step and you can't just assume that the horse is going to be okay with things. You have to make sure. I mean, the other day I was giving Mac a bath and, um, I still, when I turned on the hose, I only turned it on just a little bit cause it's like, it's got a little slider. So I turned it on just a smidgen, then clicked and treat, then turned it on a little bit more, click and treat, and then all the way and then, um, click and treat and then turned it on nearer him and, um, then eventually worked up to his feet and his legs and then we were off to the races with the bath. But, um, I still don't want to take anything for granted and accidentally surprise him and then have him not be okay. But for Zoe, I mean, I can point the hose at her and turn it on and she doesn't so much as blink. <laughs> like she's like this, I, bats are fine. So, um, I just like when working with especially young horses or horses that have been, um, mistreated or abused or, um, just are very wary of humans. Um, I think it's really important to analyze everything that you're doing. And like, I mean, something that seems as, you know, trivial as putting a saddle pad on can be really scary for these horses. And, um, I mean, you're putting something around their back. That's like, no, don't do that. <laughs> Gonna die. Um, so it's really important to break steps down and not just to the rate that you feel is sufficient for the horse, but to a rate that they're not going over their fear threshold, they're not getting anxious, and that they're able to stand still at liberty. I mean, really, I feel like that is one of the biggest tests is, um, like, when I'm working with Mac or Juno, well, not Mac so much anymore, but, like, if something was making him uncomfortable, he was free to leave. And um, there was no punishment, no negative consequence for leaving. It was just you are free to leave if this makes you uncomfortable. And that would clearly tell me, okay, it's time to take it back down a step. And the same thing happened with Juno. Um, the other day I was just, you know, rubbing on her shoulder and then I turned my body to face her and she took a step, like a, quite a few steps back and like fully faced me and was like, what are you doing? <laughs> so um, I think it's really important to be aware of how the horses are responding to you. I mean, if they're flinching or sidestepping, um, they're trying to tell you something. And I think that it's really easy to ignore those. And even those two that I just mentioned are pretty big. I'm uncomfortable signs. Like there's so much that happens and even just their facial expressions. I mean, everyone knows what a worried eye looks like when they've got the crinkly brow and, um, more agitated, anxious nostrils when it's pulled tight and you've got a lot of wrinkles around it or a worried nostril is, more around bigger one and then 
their ears can mean all sorts of different things, but, you know, if they go back, they're not good. And sideways ears are also, um, in some contexts, um, indicative of worry. And so it's really important to keep an eye on all of those things. And it can be tricky with a horse like Juno, who is like, she gets intimidated or uncomfortable if you just look directly at her, like with your body facing towards her, or even look really well, um, or even if you look directly in her face. So I sort of have to like, I normally wear a hat, um, so I normally have to, like, tilt my hat so I can, like, look out of the corner of my eye and see um, how our facial expressions are doing, um, just to make sure that she's um, not getting too unnerved, but also I can't look at her directly, so um, it's just, I think it's just being aware of um, body language, and, you know, I think with Juno, we'll get there to where I can stand fully facing her, and I can look at her, and she won't be threatened by that, but at this point, she views humans strictly as predators, and so it's it's really important that I am keenly aware of my body language as well as hers, so that I can prevent any um, discomfort or um, fear, and, you know, if she does take a step back or if she moves away from me, then it's, um, or if I even see her eyebrows start to crinkle, um, you know, any of those things, it's, it's really important that I'm aware of that so I can take a step back and be efficient in the training. You know, I mean, if the horse is getting worried, you know, I don't want to be reinforcing worried behavior. I want to be reinforcing calm, relaxed behavior. So if I push her to the point where she's worried or too worried, you know, it's, it's not productive training. There is a level of stress that I think is okay, but, it's, it's not a very high level, you know, so I don't want her to be afraid or fearful, you know, um, she can be contemplative or a little cautionary, but nothing much more than that, you know, um, I mean, being able to touch her right now, I don't think would ever be in a comfort zone, you know, so it's, it's gotta be just a little bit, and you know, I'm not touching her for very long either, I just, reach up slowly and touch her shoulder and maybe do one or two strokes and then click and then treat. So, um, and it's very important that I mark the behavior that I want. And so what I want to see more of is her standing still. So, um, as I'm touching her, I click and then give her a treat. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny because I've seen glimpses of like, I guess what you would call a quote unquote real horse. Um, I had a target out the other day and, um, we were just messing around. And, can you not with the bell, please, please, Seffy, no, don't do that. She says, no, nah, do it anyway. Screw you, human. Hey, come here. Come. She says, no. Um, anyway, but I had the target out and she, um, she was like really up for following it. So I, um, I moved it a little faster and like did a little jog and she like did a little head toss and she came after it. She said, I'm going to get it. And, um, and it wasn't like a, um, like a attack. I'm afraid of you head toss. It was like a, a, almost a playful one. At least I think if I read it right, I'm biased though. So can't be for sure. <laughs> but, um, I just think it's really cool to see like little glimpses of like, oh yes, play, let's do this. 
um, from a horse that's been so shut down and so petrified for so long. And um, it's just, it's really cool. And I don't think there's anything more rewarding than, um, than working with a horse like that and watching them come out of their shell and be more comfortable with people. And especially when it's you, you know, it's kind of an awesome feeling. And, you know, I harbor no, no ill will towards her after kicking Zoe and nearly killing her, but it's fine. (laughs) Um, but I know she was scared and that was on us for not setting up the environment in a way that was, um, setting her up for success. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, I think it's really important. Um, again, like I said, to break things down, um, to a level that, the horse is comfortable with. I mean, we may think we've broken it down enough and then quickly realize it's not enough. And I think it's better to break down what you're asking even more rather than try and uh, force the horse into what you think is appropriate. And um, I think you can do a lot more damage working with um, a horse that has a really low fear threshold and um, just forcing them into what you want than if you just take the extra little time to really set up a trusting and confident relationship where the horse knows that you're not ever going to put them in a situation where they can't handle it and, um, you know, that they can really trust you to, um, to be consistent and that there's always going to be a click in a treat, no matter what they ask, there's always a puzzle that they can solve and, um, that no, consequences are going to come in the training sessions and from you. So I think that those are really important things to remember. And I've definitely seen how um, impactful that's been with Mac. I think the only time I've ever gotten aggressive with him, and I'm, I'm going to admit it and I don't like it, but when he bit me um, on my wrist, my instant reaction was to just like hit him with my other hand and I hate that I did that, and immediately I just wanted to cry. I was like, ah, no, I've undone everything. And it was it was a, f- a few weeks of going back and making sure that he wasn't afraid when my hand came up or came up quickly, that it wasn't going to land on him, you know. So um, especially with horses that have been mistreated, I mean, if you act the same way as their old people, then they're never going to trust you. So I think it's, it's really important to, um, like I said, break down those behaviors and hold to a principle. I mean, in my opinion, there's no reason to, um, punish, at least directly punish, um, or intentionally punish for training purposes in a training scenario. Um, real world scenarios sometimes are a little bit more difficult to handle, um, or control and prevent, you know, cause sometimes you have to protect yourself. But, um, in a training scenario, it's like, there's, there's no reason to, in my opinion, because I mean, when you reinforce behavior that you'd like to see more of, and the horse, um, has an increase in that behavior, then, you know, the undesired behavior is going to decrease naturally. So, um, you know, they would rather choose the, head away manners position rather than the in your space biting position because one offers them treats. So, um, you don't have to punish for them being in your space. You just create the incompatible behavior. And so with horses like Juno and Mac, I'm very aware of that and try to set up 
um, scenarios where the horse is not going to be nervous, they're not going to be uncomfortable, nothing in the environment is going to set them off, and um, as a result, we build a confident, calm, relaxed relationship. And, you know, after you get that down after a while, then you can start adding in other factors and getting them com- com- confident and comfortable um, with more things going on. Um, but it, it doesn't all come right away. You can't expect, like a horse like Juno, I would never expect to get on and ride and have a happy, confident horse that I'm taking to a show next weekend. You know, like, it's, it's not going to happen. She needs more time than that, and she needs to be rehabbed and gain my trust. And I think the quickest way to do that is create a positive association between us and help her realize that things that, um, you know, I'm going to, I guess, do to her or do with her are not going to be things that are scary or that are going to hurt her. They're going to bring good things. And, um, I mean, obviously it can be done the traditional way where you throw a saddle pad on them and on and off and on and off until the horse is habituated to it and is no longer petrified. But I think that 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 creates a lot of stress in the horse and it's very hard to learn when you're at a certain level of stress. So um, I just, I, I would rather go about it in a way that is less stressful to the horse because I don't want her to be stressed out by the presence of a saddle pad. I want her to look forward to it and be like, yes, put it on me. I get treats when you do that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's really important to, again, be aware of where the horse is at, break everything that you want, um, out of the horse, you know, one goal at a time, break it all down into the smallest possible piece. And so you can reward often. And then once you get that down, you can move up to the next step and, you know, it can be a little more complicated or, have a little bit more touch, a little bit longer touch, or um, on a different body part, you know, increasing criteria one by one, and, um, you know, just just really helping the horse be comfortable and confident in people again. So I think that that about wraps up this podcast, and I hope that you guys have enjoyed it. Um, but I just, I wanted to share Juno's story and talk a little bit about what I'm doing with her and I'm sure she'll come up again before I move, <laughs> which should be in May sometime. But um, yeah, I think that that about concludes what I wanted to talk about. So um, yeah, you guys can find me on Instagram and on Facebook at, um, oh, and Twitter now. I've been on Twitter more recently at Jet Equithery. That's J-E-T-E-Q-U-I-T-H-E-O-R-Y. Um, and I also have a website, jeticwithyuri.com, with a blog post, endless resources, um, available horses, and um, some other fun stuff on there. So be sure to check that out. Be sure that you are subscribed to this podcast so that you can keep up with it every week. And um, is there anything else? Make sure you leave a rating and review if you're interested. It helps boost the podcast and the algorithm so more people can find it and listen. Um So, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to this week and listening to this week. (laughs) Listen to the trees and the the wind outside. Listen to the week as as you march through it. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode this week. Um, So, yeah, I hope you guys have a good one and enjoy the rest of your week. All right. Goodbye.